hope you enjoyed that singing. Say amen. amen. Brother Rick was talking about if you can sing or if you can't sing. I heard about a preacher. Well, he told me, pastor in North Carolina said he had a woman come up to him on a Sunday morning. She was mad. She said, why did you let my husband sing? He said, because he can't. He said, it ain't supposed to hurt. Well, we've not been hurting with the singing this week, have we? And not been hurting with the preaching. Appreciate that, Brother Chris. It ought to be a sin to be able to preach that good at that age. One thing I'm worried about him is he ain't going to live long to preach that good because he don't eat nothing but candy corn. I mean, I'm threatening to bring him some vegetables, but he that's the only kind he'll eat. But it's good to be here. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to uh, 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. We're looking at this matter of the giants in a little different light. And yesterday we looked at those giants without end, the ones that come in front, the ones from the rear, the worst ones on the inside. But I'm glad that we've got somebody that can take care of those giants. The Lord Jesus, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But I want to take a step further, and uh, tonight we're going to do something that you've probably never been asked to do by a preacher that is preaching from this text. Of all of the characters that are found in this story that sometimes we like to see ourselves maybe perhaps as David or maybe one of the soldiers or so forth. But tonight what I want us to do is to step in the shoes of Goliath. Uh, let's uh, put on his armor for just a little while because the truth of the matter is we're going to find that uh, we're not so much unlike him. And I'm going to preach tonight on a giant mistake. A giant mistake. Let's look here in this text. As I read to you yesterday, it emphasizes his size in verse number 4. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now that's big. Nine foot, six inches, they tell us. Then I want you to drop down, if you will, to verse number 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? I'll drop down, if you will, to verse number 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he but a man of war from his youth. And then it's scoot to the final verse, verse number 51, the same chapter. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him. Cut off his head therewith, and when the Philistine saw their champion was dead, they fled. You can be seated. I emphasize that there is one thing about Goliath that was the same as it was about David or Saul or anyone else that was here on this day. 
But I venture far beyond that even to this hour and in this gathering that is here this morning. That there is something about Goliath that is the same about you and about me. Because as we emphasize how gigantic this man is, how big he is, with all of that bigness in his measure, in his height, in his weight, there is something about him that is bigger than all of that. God has given him something that is superior to any of those measurements and as a matter of fact is immeasurable. The greatest thing that God could ever give, he gave to Goliath. But the greatest thing that God could ever give, the biggest thing God could ever give, he gave the same thing to David and to everyone else in the text. But hey, the biggest thing that God could ever give And the most precious thing that God could ever give, he gave to you and he gave to me. And you say, well, preacher, what was it? Not his body. The biggest thing God gave Goliath was life. L-I-F-E. You can't measure that. You can't weigh that. And the same thing that he gave to David, the biggest thing he gave David was life, L-I-F-E. But he didn't leave you out. And he didn't leave me out. The biggest thing that God gave all of us and the most precious thing that he gave all of us is L-I-F-E. It was mentioned yesterday Brother Ellis, talking about this matter of the breathing of God. And Adam being that clay, that body that was formed. And then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Adam was alive. That is what has been extended to all of us. And it's the most important thing that we know about each of us. When a child is born into this world, just prior to it being birthed those months before, that mama-to-be will go and have that ultrasound to see if it's a boy or if it's a girl. And by the way, it'll be one or the other. Or they can even take a blood test now to find out what gender that it is. But when it comes down to the very moment of that that child leaving that womb, coming into this world and being birthed, at that very moment, the question is not how long is that baby, how many inches? Or what color is the baby's eyes? Does the baby have hair already on its head? No, no, no. What we want to know when that baby comes through the birthing channel is, is it alive? Is it alive? When someone, a loved one especially, in our families, we get news that there's been an accident or a a trauma or something that is life-threatening. The first question that we want to ask is, how are they? Are they alive? Because life to all of us is the most important thing that we have. Take life out of your body and it is nothing anymore but to be buried. It is the life that God gave each of us, which is, as Paul laid it out, it is Spirit, soul, and body, triune, all three of them put together, spells out what he had. I'm talking about what Goliath had. He had life. Body, soul, and spirit. David had the same thing. Body, soul, and spirit. Everyone there had the same thing. Body, soul, and spirit. Today, thank God, as you sit there beside the others that are sitting beside you, you have it. You've got life. And then Jesus came and added to it. I breathe. 
receiving the breath of God in the form of the Holy Ghost in us. And now we not only have life, we have abundant life. But he made a mistake with something so precious. And what I would say to you, young lady, God's given you something precious called life. Don't make a mistake with life. I would say to you, young man, God has given you something so big, immeasurable. Life, life, immeasurable. Thank God in the representation of life in each one of you. Don't make a giant mistake. Goliath has life. He's alive. I said yesterday, I feel a little sorry for him. I do today. He can't help that he's big physically. Now, that was in the genetics. He's nine foot, six inches tall. A strong man probably don't even exercise. It was just that way. But his life was more than his body. His life was spirit, soul, and body. And that's what is important here, that your life is in the totality or the fullness of what God made you and what he made you to be. The giant mistake is in the fact that he overestimated himself. He sacrificed his life upon the basis of thinking his body would be enough. He overestimated himself. He underestimated David. And he had no estimation of God whatsoever. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to lose that life, if you want to diminish that life, if you want to destroy that life, you overestimate this physical. You underestimate, as he did David, the little things. And you have no estimation of the one who gave you life. And you're going to make a mistake with a big thing. The most precious thing I want to emphasize, thank God for life. Now, there are three simple things I want to point out that obviously Goliath did not recognize. He missed it. The first one is found in three verses in our text in reference to him. If you'll look uh, in verse number, we'll point out two of them. Verse 22. The men of Israel said to David, <laughs> and here's the key to it all. It's the difference between you living life, enjoying life, and making a big mistake in life. And these... Uh, these soldiers are talking to David and notice how they describe the giant. Unbeknownst to themselves, I don't think they appreciated it as much as what it should have been. But they say to him, have you seen the what? What did it say in the text? Did you look at it right there? Verse number 25. Have ye seen the man? Look in verse number 33. And Saul said to David, Thou not able to go against the Philistine to fight for him, for thou art but a youth, but he a... <laughs> you know, there's only one qualification, really, for killing a giant. You know what it is? You must have never seen one. Because if you ever see the giant, you're not going to get close enough to kill it. You're going to be like the 10 spies of the 12 that went and viewed the promised land. They said, well, we're like grasshoppers. We, we, they saw the giants. They weren't going to fight them. 
And the problem here is, is everybody in this text has studied and analyzed this giant. But when David looks at him, he sees someone who is not unlike himself. Hold it, wait a minute, boys. He's just a man. He may be nine foot six inches tall. He may weigh 400 pounds. He may have 200 pounds of armor, but he's a man. He was a man which simply says to us that he was flesh, though he was large, loud, and lethal. He was no more than what David was. He was a man. And as someone has said, the best of men are men at their best. And the truth about being a man, as Job said to us, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's man and that's all men. The truth of it is that that as the Hebrew writer said, it's once appointed unto men to what? That's all men. This world's so dangerous that only two men ever got out of it alive, someone has said. The rest of them died and we're gonna have to die unless Jesus comes. I'm talking about in the physical. Someone needed to set Goliath down and say, Goliath, you're putting too much emphasis on the physical, on the body. You think it's all in your strength, but do you know you've got a heart like this man's got a heart? There's blood that pumps through your veins just like this man does. You have to rest as he rests. You have to be restored and refreshed as he has to be restored and refreshed. And that's all that you are as far as the body is concerned. And I want you to know, Goliath, you can, you can make a major mistake as a giant with your life. When you're depending upon the physical. He's not Superman. He's not immortal. He's not a God man. He's just a man. And if we think of the great men in history that have been recorded, some of them, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, or Napoleon, or Genghis Khan, these were big men, so to speak. But I'm gonna tell you something, the thing they all have in common is they're dead. Life has been ended. And even in our days, those that we have known that have come on the scene as a Michael Jackson or an Elvis Presley or even a Colbert Bryant, the thing that they have in common is that they are men. Therefore, they came to the end. The thing that we have in common is, is that we are flesh and we are blood. Therefore, we are flawed and we fail. We fail. We are men. Psalm 39 verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, four fingers. My days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. That is life in reality. And if I would summarize life, man, being, being man or being human, if you're not going to waste it, frivolously throw it away and make a big mistake with it. Keep life human. Don't rise above because no matter who you're sitting beside, no matter who is in front of you or behind you, when it comes to life, you are no different. We are all flesh and blood and bone. Nothing, nothing else matters. Though you may be taller, you may be smarter, you may be more gifted in one way or another way, you are man. Keep life human. It would have done him well to ponder that and to think that I'm putting my shoes on right now, but I may not be the one that takes them off. That's how human life is. I'm taking my breath now, but I may not take another breath. That's how 
life, how human life is. I rose this morning out of my bed, but I may not arise tomorrow out of my bed. That's how human life is. Hey, preacher, you may be a preacher, but you're human. Hey, evangelist, you may be an evangelist, but you're just human. No matter what level we're on or what our occupations are or what we possess, we are human. We are human. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus came into this world not to show us how to be God, but how to be human. Jesus came into this world to show us not how to be God, but how to be human. Taking that life that he has given us, spirit, soul, and body, and then that eternal life, his life in us, and keep it human. Realize how human that we really are. A giant mistake. He overestimated this and this and it brought him down. The second thing that I would emphasize, you could go back up to verse number five, six, and seven. It talks about his armor that he puts on to go into battle. Talks about his helmet. Talks about his coat of mail, how much it weighs, and so on and so forth, down to his spear. But as I began to contemplate that, I realized that Goliath, I'm talking about this giant mistake, Because all he is is a man, bottom line. And he doesn't realize it. But another thing that leaked out at me is that he is a man who is managed by men. Or could I say he is man-made? Because I see here in this text and all of this armor that he has, that this is not something that he has wrought out or he has made. As a matter of fact, if you had met Goliath, you'd have met a a spoiled brat. I mean, he's the representation, the peak of the army of the Philistines. You know he doesn't do anything for himself. They provide for him on every level, no doubt. They make all of the preparations. He's actually being manufactured, being managed, brought to the place that he can, they hope, accomplish what what they want accomplished. He's a man that is managed by men. But understand that as a man, he is flawed. But as a man who's managed by men, he's going to be failed by those men. Now thank God for all of the input that we have into our lives by other people's lives. Thank God for the investments of parents, a mother and a father. Thank God for a church that would love us and and embrace us and teach us. Thank God for all the influences of other lives that have touched our life. How grateful we ought to be for that. But yet it is different when you take your life and literally put it in the hands of someone else for them to manage. Your life is your responsibility with what you do with it. The most precious thing that you have that God has given you is your responsibility, each one of us. So how crazed would that be for me to take this spirit, soul, and body and hand it off to someone else and say, here, 
Uh, you, you take care of that. And that's basically what he does with his life. He puts it in the hands of others, the details of it. I don't know who made that armor, but in the making of it, someone come up with a bright idea, no doubt, that they were going to put a, a decor there. They were going to leave a hole or an opening. Maybe they said to Goliath, the reason why we're going to do this is because you're a, you're a handsome soldier. This battle ain't going to last long. You go kill whoever that person is they bring against you. And when you come back marching in, the lady's going to want to see your face. And so we're going to leave this a little bit open here maybe so they can see you. But what a flaw. Whoever that was should have been fired. Because we know that that is the spot that David hits with the little stone, left it open just enough to bring him down. They have failed him in the creation of his armor. I thought about David when he hits him in the head with that stone and he falls down. He's not dead at that point. He's not dead until verse 51 when he cuts his head off. What I'm wondering is, is where, where is that soldier that was, that was in front of him, that was protecting him, uh, who, who was supposed to be there to aid him? Where is he at? He had the shield. Should he have not have stayed by his side? And then I thought about all of those soldiers that were behind him, backing him up, so to speak. And, uh, I don't know how long it's going to take David to get to where he's at, to pick his sword up and then chop his head off. Where are they at? How come they're not? I mean, looks like they'd have run down there and said, we're going to get down there before this happens, but they, they're not there. And what they have done is they have failed him. And no matter who the individual is in your life, understand that again, we are all human. And the fact that we are human, we are not only flawed, but we fail others. We don't always get done what we say we're going to do. And sometimes we may have good intentions that turn out in the wrong way. And that's why you can't place your life in no other person's hands. They can't live your life. You must live your life yourself. God has given you that which is precious. Don't let others manage it. And you see, these uh, others who have provided for him, prepared for him, made these things. They were so overconfident that they made oversights. He's a big man. He's got big armor. This is going to be a big battle, so what they're thinking is big. In their mind is planning for something huge. They did not realize that what God was going to do is bring a little boy with a little stone to bring down a big giant. They're thinking big, God's planning little. I'm going to tell you something. Anytime you get to thinking big, you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt someone else. I mean, it's a giant mistake. He's a man that is managed. He's counted on himself and now he's placing that life in the hands of others. He is full of flaws and now he's being failed. And here he is standing before the enemy, not realizing that he's planning on a big battle. And David is so little with a small stone, he's going to slip in there, get the job done and be over before they realize it. They missed it. Someone has already said, it's the little foxes that destroy the vine. The little things. The little things. I would say in summary that we should not only 
keep it human. This life God has given you, just keep it on the human level. But I would say to you, keep it simple. Just keep it simple. I mean, it's just going to be a simple little boy with a simple little stone fighting a simple little battle that God's going to do big things out of. And understand, that's where God is. He does the big things if you'll do the little things. If you will just concentrate on what he wants you to do and keep it simple, then you'll be able to live life in the fullest sense. Instead of always trying to be big and not realizing you're not able to enjoy life with that arrogancy and that haughtiness. But when you humble yourself and you, and you remain in this simplicity of life, somehow God will use you in big ways. You can be a part of something big in a little way. David has no big plans with big things. It's all little, but that's not what the world's looking for. They want big. They want to turn the church into a, a corporate mentality. We want something huge. <laughs> I want to suggest to you, stay as little as you can, as long as you can. Because that's how God works. I uh, heard about a lady back during the Revolutionary War. She's out sweeping her yard when there was no grass in it. And uh, Washington brought those soldiers through there, training them. And uh, she saw it and she grabbed her broom, throwed it on the back of her on her shoulder, across her shoulder, and got out and started marching with them. And somebody hollered at him and said, Hey, old lady, you can't fight with that broom. What are you doing? She said, I know that, but I just want everybody to know whose side I'm on. Keeping it simple is what we need to do. And let folks know whose side that we are on. Now I want to focus on this word that is found in verse number four. It's found in verse 23 and it's found in verse number 51. It is the word champion. Look at the latter part of verse 51. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead. I was interested in that word champion. It is a compound word. Two words in one in the Hebrew. The first part of that word is the word man. The word man is mentioned six times in this text right here, and they're all the same as the first part of the word champion. It is a man. This champion is a man. But the latter part of that word is the word middle. It is a man that is in the middle. I'm emphasizing this giant mistake of not realizing he's a man. And he's full of flaws himself. It's going to hurt him. And that he is a man that is managed by others. He has turned himself over into the hands of others who will fail him because they're just like him. But it is here that this very word describes him better than any of the other words. He's a man in the middle. He likes to be in the limelight. He likes to be in the forefront. You got an army on this side that hates an army on this side and they want to kill each other and he wants to get in the middle of it. Now you're going to get hurt like that. Worst thing you do is get in the middle of anything. He is a man, he is a man that is managed by other men and he is a man who has gotten in the middle in this text. Now, every pastor has this happen to him. I know I did. You get a husband and wife that will either call you or tell you as you're going out, would you come by the house Tuesday or Thursday or whatever? And 
Would you counsel with us? We're having problems. And in innocence, you go, thinking maybe you can help them. But the longer they talk, you realize what you've done is you've gotten in the middle of two people that are never going to agree. And who is going to do, is going to do, is you do, is you're going to leave out being the one that caused it all. You got in the middle. And it is here this giant walks down, has the audacity to stand in the middle. He is so bold, he becomes the main attraction from both sides. I notice all the talk on this side is about him in this chapter. It's going to be bad when all the talk's about you and you like it. And then I notice that all the talk on the other side's about him. Hey, if you get in the middle and you like all the talk over here about you because it sounds good, understand there's another side to this. There's going to be another side over there that all the talk they're talking is about you too. Because <laughs> you got in the middle. You wanted to shine. You wanted to stand out. You wanted to, to be bold. And here he is. All of the proclamations are about him. All of the presentations are about him. In this text, 11 times he uses himself the word I. He said, here I am. Here's what I'm going to do. And you send out an I, an I, an I. But the problem is if you stand in the middle long enough, somebody's going to figure you out. And David just happens to be the man that comes while he's doing all the talking, standing in the middle. He's being measured. He's being analyzed. He's being figured out. And David finds out, hey, that's just a man like me. He's just human like I am. And I I would summarize it this way. He makes a major, I mean, this this is a major mistake as far as life is concerned. Uh, A giant mistake. Keep life human. Best way to keep it. Keep life simple. It's the best way. Because you're no more than that. You're no more than the person beside you or in front of you. But I would say to you in this last thought, keep life secret. Secret. The problem with him, everybody knows all there is to know about him. And he's in trouble. David, we don't know anything about him. Nobody there, his brothers know who he is. Nobody knows who he is. He comes out of secrecy. He cuts the giant's head off and goes back into secrecy. He takes his head and goes back to the tent. He said, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I'm out of here. Oh, could I say this to you as children of God? Can I say this to you as preachers and missionaries, evangelists? Do what you do for God and get out of the way. Duck your head. Don't get in the middle. Just keep it secret. Jesus said, if you're going to pray, just go into your closet and pray. Keep it simple. The last thing you want folks to do is analyze you. I'm saying that about all of us because, hey, you're just human. And they're going to find out something you don't want them to find out. I'm not saying we're to go around hiding things. We just don't need to be going around proclaiming things. The last thing I want to do when I come here is for you to know something about me or who I am or all that other stuff. I came here to point you to Christ and that's all I'm interested in doing. And when I close this book and I walk out of this building, it won't bother me at all if you don't think about me till I get back next year. I'm happy in my secrecy. I don't want to be known. 
tape. He's beating his chest. Have you seen me? Do you know what I can do? You know how big I am? You know how many I've run? You know what my offering is? You know where I've been? Watch out, boy. You're in trouble. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Let us humble ourselves before God and not get caught up in the foray of man. It's going to get you. He makes a giant mistake. He has it all. He has all that God could ever give a man. He has as much of it as David has. But oh, he has handled it so frivolously. He has trusted in himself. He has trusted in others. And he has no trust in God. I notice in this text that he makes no mention of God. The one who gave him life. He has no time for that. But when David steps on the scene, you will notice that David introduces him. Not just to God, but David goes all the way. To the greatest name of the Old Testament, New Testament. Capital L-O-R-D. Now he's been up there bragging, telling him what he's going to do, and you come out here and here's what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. And David said, hold it just a minute. Let's talk about the Lord for a while. He said, I don't want to come out here in my energies and my strength. I ain't got nothing to say about myself. But he said, I know one that can handle this. Capital L-O-R-D. He brought Jehovah on the battlefield. Honey! He wasn't going to handle that man's life nor his life by himself. He's going to bring the one who is life. Hey, buddy, have you heard of Jehovah four times? That word, Jehovah, in the Old Testament, Hebrew is the word Yahweh. And the correct spelling of it in the Hebrew, it has no vowels in it. It's all consonants. And the ancient Hebrew said that the way that the word Yahweh sounds, it's like breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. In other words, it's like that breath that God breathed into Adam, God's breath. And Adam went, and the next thing he had to do was, in other words, when it went in, it went, when it came out, it went, It's what Jacob did when he's leaning on his staff fixing to die. The Bible said he worshiped. You know the last thing he did when he was in this world? He let God breathe in and everything God breathed into him, he breathed it back to God leaning on that staff. He said, That's what Jesus did on the cross when he left this old world. He took that God in him and he went, You know what worship is? Every time you worship, it's God breathing in you and then you're breathing it back to the one that breathed it in you. What David is doing, he realized God breathed that life in him and the only place he's going to breathe it back was to God. And you know what it's all about. When you worship, you feel God breathing in you and everything he breathes in you. You breathe it right back to him. 
That's called worship. And David runs out on that field. He said, hold it just a minute. I feel God. Honey, if you don't want to make a mistake, a giant mistake with the most precious thing God ever gave Goliath or anybody else, take that life and breathe it back to him. Let every breath shoot back to him. Let every breath magnify him. That's what I try to do when I'm preaching. This ain't about me. Matter of fact, he can tell you, I've tried to get out of this meet every year. But if I'm coming, I don't care whether you see me or not. But what I want God to do is, I want to breathe back to him the breath that he breathed in. And if you do, you're not going to make a giant mistake with that life he's given you. Now, I hope y'all don't mind me feeling sorry for Goliath. Now, again, I've done told you, put, get in his shoes, put that armor on for a little while. Because you're, you're, we're the same in the sense that we've all just got life. But if you're a child of God, you've got life more abundant. And I know this story was never going to end this way. I'm not supposing or any, inferring or anything about it. I, it's, it is what it is. But this happens sometimes. Sometimes an old sinner who thinks he's big, bad, and bold will run into Yahweh. And when he does, the first thing he wants to do is undress himself, throw off all of his armor, and fall down on his knees. <laughs> and say, I want to give my life back to you. You gave it to me. And wouldn't it have been wonderful? Wouldn't it have been wonderful? (laughs) I've seen it happen. I did it. I did it. I started breathing back when he breathed in me. That day as a 14-year-old, Yahweh breathed in me. And I went, and from that day forward, I've been breathing back. That's what's been. It's you know what worship's all about. It's a bunch of God's people coming together, breathing Yahweh, breathing back to God, taking that little fourteen-year-old breath and breathe it back to God, taking that little twenty-one-year-old breath and breath, taking that sixty-nine-year-old breath and breathe it back to God. Say, how long you gonna breathe? How long you I got no determination of that. All I know is for every breath, I just want to breathe it back to God. I don't want to make giant mistakes with the most precious thing you could ever have. But you could you imagine? He's a man, he's been managed. He's been manipulated. And he's in the middle. Worst place you could be. Worst situation you could be in. But it is right there in that place. I like to imagine this. David steps out and he said, before this thing starts, I want to testify. And I want to tell you about Yahweh. And he starts talking about, he said, well, did, did you know the battle belongs to Yahweh? And did you know you came with the sword and the spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, capital L O I I came to you in the name of Yahweh. He has kept giving him the gospel. That's in that name, the gospel. And can you imagine this pagan, this Gentile, This Philistine, all of a sudden after he hears it, he just stops. And he said, wait a minute. I don't want to do this. Well, y'all can have all this. I'm done with it. And he takes that armor and he starts clicking it off and throwing it all off. 
He said, I don't want to waste my life. David, I'd like to give my life to the one you've given yours to. I don't know how long he would have lived if he'd have done that. But I think he'd have made it past 51, verse 51. And I don't know how long you're going to live or how long I'm going to live, but as long as you are sending it back to Yahweh, you won't be making a gigantic mistake with the most precious thing God gave all of us. I'm thanking God in my heart right now for L-I-F-E. It's all here. Spirit, soul, and body, and Holy Ghost life. But I'm not only thanking him for my life. John, I listened to you testify over there, and I was thinking, boy, I thank the Lord for Brother John. Don't get seen, but just a couple times a year. That's a special life right there. Brother Randy, I love you, buddy. I don't get to see him but twice a year. That's a special life right there. And I'm going to tell you, the good thing is I don't hear a lot about them when I'm not with them. They're not publicizing anything. Other than we're having a meeting, come to the meeting, that's how it's happening. Keep it human. Keep it simple. And for God's sake, keep it secret. Let's stand.